Hi, I'm Tom Power. Welcome to Toy Heart, a podcast about bluegrass. This is the last episode of season two here from Nashville is my conversation with Allison Krauss. I remember, you know, the first time I looked out in the audience and saw people singing words to our songs that only we had recorded. That was just a really crazy moment. Just never thought it would end up being there. Never thought we'd hear back from Rounder. Yeah. Never thought we would hear from Rounder in the first place. If this is your first time listening, you can hear full interviews with Jerry Douglas, Allison Brown, Bela Fleck, Larry Sparks, Jody Stecker, and so many more wherever you get your podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Later on. Hi, and welcome to Basic Folk, where we have honest conversations with folk musicians. I'm your host, Cindy House. We're on the American Songwriter Podcast Network. Okay, uh, talking to Oliver Wood today. Growing up, Oliver Wood thought he'd try out the bass guitar, but after six months, he handed it to his younger brother, Chris. That's right, the Chris Wood, virtuosic bassist of acclaimed Modesky Martin and Wood. Even at a young age, the brothers' styles were pretty clear. While Chris was getting intense about the bass, Oliver was meandering on the guitar and forging his own musical path. He ended up in Atlanta and eventually got a spot in Tinsley Ellis's band, a very well-respected blues player. Oliver was playing guitar and singing background vocals, but soon enough he was shifting to the spotlight. It turns out that Tinsley was a really important mentor for Oliver. He taught him the ins and outs of the business and encouraged him to sing. After touring hard for 15 years, Oliver and his brother met up again at a fateful chair 2004 bill. He sat in with Badesky, Martin, and Wood, and the brothers immediately felt that familial connection through their performance. They decided to keep up playing together and formed the Wood Brothers. Coming together in the band, Chris and Oliver discovered that the music of their folk-singing father, Bill Wood, was acting as a huge inspiration. Bill spent time on the folk circuit surrounding Cambridge, Massachusetts in the 19th 1950s, performing with legends like Joan Baez. He would settle down with a career as a biology teacher, but kept the spirit of folk music alive for his boys. Oliver talks about how forming a band around that sound made him appreciate his father in new ways. Seven albums later, and the Wood Brothers are one of the most beloved bands in the Americana community. Oliver, who is motivated by connection and community, spent 2019 co-writing with various touring musicians making their way through his home of Nashville. While this project was just for fun, he found the results inspiring enough to make a solo album during the 2020 pandemic, resulting in his debut record, Always Smiling. Oliver talks about choosing joy, connection, and feeling grounded through meditation, which has helped him immensely through the last 14 months. We'll take a listen to a song from Oliver's new solo album. Let's hear Fine Line, and then we'll get to our conversation with the lovely Oliver Wood on Basic Folk. Satisfied. Jump around from one to another. Don't they know it gets cold outside? It's a fine line between love and lust, between truth and trust. Yeah, dreams and dust. Yeah, it's a fine line between hope and a prayer. Something. 
but it's a fine line. Fine line. Yeah, we're walking it all the time. Well, Oliver Wood, thank you so much for talking to me today. Thank you, Cindy. I'm happy to be here. Your parents came from artistic places. Your dad played folk music and your mom was a published poet. And I'd like to hear about each of their backgrounds, um, starting with your dad, who worked as a biology teacher. But I read that he was like in the 50s. He was a folk musician and playing with people like Joan Baez. Mm -hmm. Um, What did his musical life look like before he pursued science and teaching? So... um... When my dad was a teenager, he got really into music, especially folk music. And um, his dad was a doctor and scientist, so my dad was sort of on a a real education track. Uh, He ended up going to Harvard and becoming a biology professor, as well as uh, an author of of a lot of biology textbooks and um, uh, molecular and cellular biology. So pretty intense stuff. Mm. Um, But parallel to that, throughout his college career, he really had a music career going. He had a band uh, called the Ranch Hands that were on Epic Records. And and he also was friends with Joan Baez and and her family. And he plays on the first Joan Baez album. He had a radio show. Um, Where was this all happening for him? uh, Well, I think it was sort of peaking in in Boston when he went to college at Harvard. Oh, all right. That's yeah. cool. Yeah. So, um, Playing at like uh, Club 47. Yeah. Club Passim and things Club like Passim. that. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so he was, but he had a huge, and still does, he's in his 80s, but he has a huge repertoire of folk songs. Like he knows everything that was being played back in those days, you know, in that during that scene, he has that whole repertoire in his head. Um and he also got into writing songs, and, and even since he retired and um, since he's been cold up in the pandemic, he's written some songs. So, But anyway, he, he was a real folk nut, and he really knew all the folk songs. He would sing around the house and sing at campfires and was also kind of a great entertainer. Like, he could just rip through songs and and just, uh, I don't know, was, just had a lot of confidence uh, in, in himself when he did that. And... And he's kind of a quiet, shy guy, but when he gets starts performing, he just has this killer instinct. So, um, so that's kind of my dad's side. You know, he did he could have pursued it professionally, but I think he went he went more into the uh, education route, and um, and that was his thing. But he's always played. Um, and then my mom was less so musical, but more. Uh, uh, word oriented so she was a published poet and she i think uh you know got a got her degree in degrees in literature when she was young but then later you know after being a mom and and raising a couple kids she while she was doing that she got more and more interested in poetry and becoming a writer and so um, she went back to school and and um and studied poetry and later taught poetry and published a couple books so nice you know both of my parents had amazing talent at what they were doing. And I think that I totally took it for granted. I think my brother and myself both, uh, we just thought, ah, that's what people's parents do, you know? And, um, so I didn't, it took me a while to really appreciate, um, the influence they had, you know, it was much later. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, like reading about you now, it sounds like you do have a deep appreciation for poetry and in thinking that you came to songwriting a little bit after you got started in your music career. Like, True. Particularly, like, what was your mom's influence on you when it came to appreciating the written word and how does her writing impact yours? Yeah, well, like I said, it was like when I was a kid and she was really digging into it i i didn't really pay that much attention to be honest and she died in 2007 and you know i was always supportive and impressed by what she was able to do but it wasn't really until after she died that i really got it sadly mm-hmm. um but you know being her around her while she was while she she had als and so she was you know, she in the span of a year and a half, she went from relatively healthy, 69, 68 year old. And then she in that year and a half where she deteriorated, you know, we got to know each other a lot better. My brother and I would sit with her by her bed and she would um, tell us we would record her just um, giving us her life history. Wow. And and she was a refugee in Germany uh during world war ii she lost her dad she lost her sister when she was pretty young you know not even 10 years old so uh so she had a very heavy childhood and and a lot of her writing is a reflects that and and a lot of beautiful but sad stuff in in her writing um is really powerful and it really hit me after she told those stories and i really got some details and some understanding and uh so I, I don't know how directly she influenced my appreciation for words, but she, you know, I, I think of like writing songs as a very cathartic and, and therapeutic uh, thing to do, whether you're writing something about something sad or, or difficult or whether you're cheering people on and making, you know, something uplifting. Um, both of those things can be can be very therapeutic and connective. So, mm. um, and uh, that, that's some stuff I got from my mom's poems. And mm. um, yeah, it's amazing. Um, all right, so Chris is four years younger than you. Yeah. Um, but you had a closeness as young kids, like before you moved out and went to college. You bonded over music. You spent a couple of years playing music together, like casually in the garage. Um, how do you think? music helped you originally establish a bond with Chris and how did music help you find connections with others at that age? Yeah, at that age, it was interesting is, yeah, my brother's quite younger, but he's also a much more disciplined, uh, dude than I am. Like when he started (laughs) playing bass, he got really serious, really fast while I was still kind of just messing around with guitar and, um, so it put us on actually a pretty equal level, even though we were both teenagers and, and I was like 17 and he was 13. And in just those years, uh, we had a four track recorder and we used to just make stuff up and, and, um, and, you know, we would appreciate my dad's record collection together. That was a real bond. Ooh, check this one out and let's learn that song or so that certainly connected us back then. And I, I'll, I'll include this because even though it's not exactly your question, but, but, you know, when Chris and I left the house, although we both pursued music, we really went in opposite directions and, um, grew apart quite a bit. Um, just because we never saw each other. We lived a thousand miles apart and we 
were in completely different circles. And so uh, we really did grow apart as brothers. Um, and when we did get back together to, to start the Wood Brothers, it was the music that really did it. You know, we had this in common. We were able to, because we're also very different people. And I think that's, that's a great thing about music is, you know, if you're at a concert with a thousand people, there might be a variety of political views in the audience or, or things that could be divisive, you know, mm -hmm. and all of those things are put aside when you have the music to bond over, you know, and that's one thing I love about a live concert. Um, or a small, you know, a group of people sitting in a living room playing music, whatever, how, whatever, if it's a porch or it's a stadium, it's all about those people being connected. So I think connection is the best word to, to apply to all these things is that the music is for doing that. It's, it's, that's the best thing about it is it's a connector. Mm. It's a language that everybody understands at a certain level. And if you're a musician, you understand it maybe on a, I don't want to say a higher level, just a, a another level mm -hmm. that allows you to communicate. And, um, and of course it translates to people who, who like to listen. Yeah. And reading about your history, it seems like connecting with others is like a huge thing for you and doing so through music, you know, and like on this new album and everything. So it's like, yeah, it's nice to hear you talk about that. Yeah. Well, and I feel like that's sometimes we lose sight of just sort of basic ideas and there's probably other words and other ways to describe it. But, but I, I certainly have been very burnt out on like traveling and, and um, being a touring musician before and question like, why, what am I doing this for? And it's, it's the actual show and the actual interaction. And then people even commenting saying your music really made me happier. It got me through a hard thing. That's when you realize, oh yeah, this is important work. And the connection part yeah. is the best part. It used to be like, Ooh, I get to have people clap for me and meet girls and stuff like that. And, it, and it, <sighs> you know, those kind of things wear out, but the connection part, uh, never does. That's the, that's the number one thing. When did you first realize that? Um, I think I first consciously realized it maybe definitely within the last 10 years, just. Oh, pretty recent. Yeah. Fairly recently where I, I, now it's kind of my mantra, connection, connection. Like we talk about it all the time and partly just to keep it on my radar and remind myself, but, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, but it's something that you, you do take for granted. And that's what's cool about other things beyond music, other kinds of art or um, or meditating or, mm. you know, wrestling with your kids or whatever. It's it's the connection. You know? Yeah. So to talk a little bit more about connection in terms of like your instrument. So this is funny. Originally, you got a guitar when you were 10, but you were like, I don't care about this. So you weren't interested in it. Then you attempted to pick up the bass. Right. Six months later, you're like, forget this. Here, Chris, you have this. Uh, right. So Chris went off and became a virtuoso. And you went back to guitar. Yeah. Uh, I read after you were inspired to pick it up after hearing Jimi Hendrix and B.B. King. So how did it feel for you to finally be able to connect with the guitar? Um, you mean way back then? Yeah. How did it feel? Uh, felt pretty great. Yeah, and, and just like kind of anything else, it's kind of cool to when you 
figure something out. And I, I guess you could be, you could be a mechanic or you could be just about anything. But when you dissect what people are doing and you realize, Hey, I, I might be able to do this, you know, um, then it's exciting. It's fun. You know, it's, it's huge growth. It's, it's like exponential growth. And I, I gotta say, I realized later too, that I I've always been drawn to maybe simpler, raw and simple music because of its accessibility. Like I'm not huge on the virtuoso shredder concept because I'm thinking, oh, I'll never be able to do that. But if I hear something really mm. uh, stripped down and simple, I, I, I like Lightning Hopkins was a record that my dad had that I mm. always listened to. And I was like, I, I think I could do this, you know, and I, and I was able to, you know, I wasn't super ambitious, but I could do that. You know, I'm not as good as him, but you see yourself reflected in in that sure that's sure. cool yeah. so how has your guitar playing and like feelings about being a guitar player evolved over time and how did it change when you started to sing and write songs hmm. yeah i think uh like a lot of musicians i went through a huge arc of of learning and appreciating and uh it's funny because you know when i started out i was really into just basic blues guitar and then I got really into jazz and things that were more complicated and technical and then uh, eventually came sort of full circle back to playing blues and stuff and interestingly when we started the Wood Brothers uh, even back full circle to more like what my dad does like we got into more folk-like instrumentation and sound and um stripped down you know i played in a six-piece band for a long time called king johnson that was before the wood brothers and that was a that was a lot more there's a lot more to that and it, i think i came full circle and went down to something more stripped down and simple but i think my approach to guitar what i've come to appreciate about my favorite guitar players is they just have sort of a thing that's recognizable and unique that they do. And, uh, and it's like their personality. That's like a one of a kind thing. So I, I really like that one. When, when you hear BB King, uh, it, you just recognize it right away. It's like someone's voice, you know, it's like when it's mm -hmm. their voice. Yeah, so, yeah. so I think I ended up, I gotta say, practice a lot less <laughs> and just trust that, you know, I have a thing that I do and it's not amazingly technical or dazzling, but it hopefully it sounds like me playing, you know. Yeah, you mentioned when you started the Wood Brothers and you kind of like went back to what your dad was doing. How did like playing that style of music that you play with the Wood Brothers and even on your new solo record make you appreciate your dad, his music, his guitar playing even more than you had previously? Yeah, it's just cool because my dad got really good at certain things. And I think sometimes as musicians, when we're really excited about music, we try to get good at everything and, and master everything and uh, and sort of water down whatever might be uh, unique and, and personal about what we do. So and and I'll, I'll say this, too, you know, my brother helped instill a spirit in me of, you know, trying to be experimental and inventive and creative. Um, and com combining that with the simplicity, like, you know, what mm. can just two guys do or now three guys, but when Chris and I started, it was just a duo. Um, what can we do with an acoustic guitar and an upright bass that, uh, 
that's a little different for everybody else, you know? And, and it's choices, like, no, we're not gonna do that. That sounds too much like such and such. Let's get a little weirder than that, you know? So, like, you talking about that and how there was this, like, simplicity and this experimentalism that Chris brought to the Wood Brothers, it's kind of like, I wonder, like, if that experience kind of helped you be uncomfortable musically with with, uh, with Chris? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and and I, you know what it is? It's all about getting outside of your comfort zone. You know what I mean? It's like... Um, if if you do if you rely on what you've done before too much it's too comfortable and it's and it's not inspiring it's not inspired you know so sometimes and we talk about this all the time like picking up a a, a guitar that's that you're not familiar with or I really like old guitars that maybe have a story behind them so if somebody somebody loaned me this guitar the other day it's a it's an old cowboy guitar uh I, well nobody's gonna see this but. So you well, know. It, I will describe it looks like it's gone through some stuff. Yeah, it's from the 30s, and it has this cool cowboy picture on it. Um, and it's not an expensive guitar. It's a cheap guitar by the by the standards of the, that day, but it's a really cool guitar. And I find if somebody lets me use something like that, or if I change the tuning on my guitar, or if I play an unfa- a less familiar instrument like piano or ukulele or something... Uh, it puts me in, it takes me out of my box and puts not only my fingers in a different frame of mind, but my brain. So even lyrically, mm-hmm. I get a, in a in a more, um, I don't know, inspired state of mind where you, you get inspiration. Yeah, and yeah. that's from, from, like you said, being a little uncomfortable. Yeah. It's cool to see how with you, there's like a parallel between limitations and being uncomfortable and like making it work together you know because you're like i'm a limited piano player but i'm very uncomfortable and i'm gonna make it work yeah yeah i like it i like it that way and and the word uncomfortable is strangely to me is i would even change that to uh inspired or or playful or like um you know exploratory you're making it less scary. <laughs> Good it's job. Non, it's non-threatening. <laughs> well, but I, I really do feel like when you're inspired, you're you're like a kid. You're discovering stuff. You're playful, yeah. right? Um, and uh, and it's because you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what to expect, which can be scary, uh, but it can also be exciting and, and right. inspiring. So. You've just shifted my perspective entirely. <laughs> just put a, a positive spin on it. I wanted to uh, hear a little bit about um, Tinsley Ellis. You got a spot in his band. Yep. He's a very, very well-respected and loved blues player. You yeah. were playing guitar, singing backups, and it seems like he was a really important mentor for you. He like taught you the ins and outs of the business yep. and encouraged you to sing. What yep. did knowing and working with Tinsley Ellis do for your confidence as a musician, and how did your performance change through that experience? Oh, it was such a formative time for me. Tinsley gave me my first real gig where I got to go on the road and 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 make a living and do it full time. And um, 
And, you know, just that alone, just being able to do it in a, in an organized and professional way with someone who's already really good at it was a huge confidence builder and, and definitely eye opening, like, um, you know, just learning what that lifestyle is like and what, what you can do. And I don't know, he was great. And, and I think the, some of the biggest things he did, you know, he didn't have to do, um, but he encouraged me to sing. He would let me take guitar solos, you know, otherwise I was just there for to be a rhythm, get supportive guitar player, mm -hmm. but he would give me features. And he, at one point he, he said, you're going to start singing one song a night. And it was his show, but he would let me sing one song every night. And, um, just to get me used to it and, and, and get it in my blood a little bit more. And, um, so, I mean, I, I, that's huge. And the fact that he mm. let me do that just gave me a lot of confidence. And, uh, I, you know, I, there were a couple other people along the way too, beyond that, who same thing. I, I, I think the having mentors like that at a, at a time like that is huge, mm. you know. It's huge and it's so rare. Yeah. Like listening to you talk about Tinsley Ellis, like that was, that's amazing that, uh, that you experienced that. I wish more people got a chance to experience that type of mentorship. Yeah, it's it's so important. Yeah, and you learn it, it's it's so interesting because I learned lots of cool guitar things because he's a great guitar player. Uh, so I learned a lot of guitar stuff, but then there's all the other parts about performing and talking to an audience and maintaining a van and things like that <laughs> that are just like uh, things that you take for granted. But yeah, you just sort of soak it in and to be that close to it. Um, and, and honestly, like all, over the years, when I think back about it, you know, we, we have our, our idols that we learn, you know, I've learned how to play some BB King licks and, um, Rye Cooter and people that I admire and, you know, emulate singers, uh, your favorite singers. But honestly, your, your real teachers are the ones that you play with on stage. And that could be somebody like Tinsley, or it could just be a bandmate over the years or for me, my brother or, or John O'Ricks, who's in our band, those guys are huge, um, influences and, and, uh, teachers all the time, you know? Hmm. So, all right. You and Chris spent 15 years apart playing music, doing your own things. Yeah. Um, you grew apart as brothers, you grew apart musically. Um, but in 2004, here's the story that your band opened for his, um, King Johnson opened for Modesky, Martin and Wood. Yeah. You sat in with them, felt great. And you, you thought you should do it more. Um, you formed the Wood Brothers and you started playing an entirely like different type of music. Um, yeah. and something that you said was a cool thing about not playing with your brother for 15 years is that you had both kind of gone off and like not only figured out music, figured out the business, you like figured out your own person, you know, you matured on your own. Yeah. What was that like for you to like reconnect as musicians and as brothers knowing that? Well, it was great, you know, uh, to, like you said, you know, I gained a lot of confidence from Tinsley and then everything that happened with, uh, in between Tinsley and, and the Wood Brothers, um, and, and really grew up and found an identity. And I think the same thing happened with Chris. So there was 10 or 12 years there where we, Chris and I didn't play together and just sort of went to the school, to school of, uh, you know, how to be a grown up and how to be a professional music, musician and stuff. So I think those are years where you, 
shed a little bit of baggage as you gain some self-confidence and, and mm -hmm. identity. And, and, um, you know, we always get asked in interviews, like, you know, do you guys fight like the black crows or like the kinks or like, uh, you know, all the famous brother bands, the Everly brothers were notoriously always fighting. And, um, and we were always like, well, actually, no, that's not the case with us. It must be because, you know, a lot of those bands grew up playing together and just went professional right out of um, living at home with their families. And so mm. all that baggage uh, is still there. And I, I feel like we got to work out a lot before we did that. Yeah, uh, that is really interesting. I don't know if you know the, the band Tegan and Sarah, twin yeah. sisters. Yeah, so they... Yeah. They have a a lot to say about this this issue that you're talking about because they went right from like high school to just like yeah. being in a band together. But then I also just interviewed. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard of the Brother Brothers. Oh, they're awesome. Yeah, twin brothers. So yeah. they have a very similar path where they didn't play together for a long time, and then oh, I didn't know that. I didn't know. Yeah, that. yeah, similar brothers. Yeah, about that. They're great. Yeah, I interviewed Adam. Okay. Yeah, I don't know them personally, but I've met them and I've heard them play. I heard them in a house concert once, just in a little house, and it was fantastic. That's a good way to hear them. Yeah. Um, okay, so I read this thing, uh, like an interview, where somebody was asking you about a theme of a particular Wood Brothers record, and you were talking about how, like, in doing publicity for records, there has to be a story about... Yeah the album which you say that's not necessarily what we're interested in while we're making the record yeah so then there's like a lot of post reflection of like a common theme or what the writing yeah. is actually about so like how has being forced to like analyze and look back on the songs you've written maybe helped you understand yourself more or grown closer to the music i think that's uh that's one of the things i love about this process is you know just creating things and ideally, not trying to control them. Ideally, work with uh, inspiration and w without judgment um, and sort of discover your songs and, and follow them instead of trying to lead them and control them. And, and so, so trying to be as true as you can be to, your, to what's inside you and what subconscious magic could come out. You know, that sounds a little woo-woo, but I, I really feel like... I appreciate woo-woo. Well, the side of the brain that I I want my songs to come from my subconscious. I don't want it to be crafty. I want it to be inspired, if that makes sense. And mm -hmm. I feel like um, when we do things, whether it's writing or, or whether we're scientists and we have problems to solve or whatever we're doing, you know, we have a, a part of our brain that's very logical and, and organizes things and... Um, but we, then we have the, the other part that's much more childlike and in, inspiration or inspired and and playful and draws from your sub subconscious more. So I feel like that's the side, that's the part of the brain that I mostly want my stuff to come, you know, stuff to come from. And oftentimes that logical side of the brain really gets in the way. Yeah, you need it to organize things and create structure, but you, it also tends to be judgmental and controlling. It is fun then 
assuming that's the general process that, you know, always there, we always have to use the logical side of the brain to finish things and organize them and make them complete. But if I, if I don't judge it too much and I don't worry, well, what is that song about? It doesn't really matter. Um, as long as it feels good, you know, as mm-hmm. long as it, as it, it has emotion in it, but it is cool to go back and then, and then look at all these songs like, wow, look at all these songs I wrote about, um, uh, you know, c- coming up with a pattern. Oh, I seem to be writing about, um, lack of control or, or, um, you know, grace of some kind or by seeing patterns in the songs and then saying, wow, that's inside of me. That's, that's coming out and that's weird or cool or creepy or whatever whatever it happens to be whatever pattern it happens to be so and and just seeing common thing themes um is cool must make you appreciate that kind of like subconscious part of your brain a little bit more like oh yeah the both both sides converge in that process yeah i i'm super nerdy about that stuff lately i've really studied it in terms of songwriting at least and and read a lot of biographies and a lot of interviews with songwriters and found patterns within them you know people like saying how when they get stuck on something they go on a walk or they go on a drive so a lot of my best ideas will come when i'm just on a long drive or if i'm just walking and somehow the act of doing something like driving or walking can distract your logical mind enough and occupy it so that your inspirations come your you your the other part of your brain can work on problems and solving problems and stuff you know it's it's always working so anyway i've learned learned things like that that i like to to apply to when i get stuck i'll do stuff like that and it does work right oh that's cool okay new album uh is out this is this uh podcast is coming out after May 21. So it was Always Smiling was released on okay. May 21st. Yep. The new record is very community oriented. You have many guests on the record, like Phil Cook, Susan Tedeschi, John Modeski, to name a few. And your son is on the record? Uh, my son, Kieran, plays trombone on one of the songs. Yep. Your wife designed the cover. Yep. How did gathering these people together strengthen your feelings towards community? Well, you know, we use the word connection a lot. And, you know, the beautiful thing about the Wood Brothers is that we're, we have our, we are kind of a little family. And creatively speaking, we are too. We have, we just know each other so well and it's so comfortable. And here we are again with comfort. But like, what just before the pandemic, I started getting interested in, hey, I just for, to cleanse the palate, I would like to collaborate with some other people outside of the Wood Brothers and, you know, try stuff that I wouldn't ordinarily, ordinarily get to do or collaborate with with different writers or musicians who come through Nashville and I can have them in the studio. So that was kind of the, yeah, sort of exploring the rest of the music community because when you're in a band, you're kind of in this bubble. And so it's kind of fun to reach out to the community that's all always there, but you, you never have time or energy to work with them. And, and the pandemic really allowed me to do that. Um, yeah. What was that experience like of writing with new people and making those new connections? I, I was thinking about, it seems like you and Phil Cook have a real sweet bromance going on. Total bromance. Yeah. Yeah. It's really fun to watch from afar. 
Yeah. Um, like you guys are both very joyful people and musicians. So what was it like to be able to connect not only with Phil, but to be, be able to connect with, with new people in that format? Well, it was great. And it, it was it was kind of cool because it was a mixture of new and old people. Like some of the people I wrote songs with, like Chris Long, um, who lives in Indiana, but he was a buddy when I lived in Atlanta. He was in, in my band, King Johnson, and uh, was another mentor who really encouraged me. Um, so going back and writing with somebody like him, and then, yeah, somebody like Phil, I've only known for the last couple of years. So he was sort of a new guy to, to, to uh, try stuff with, uh, which was great. Carsey Blanton was somebody else I've known for a long time, and we've collaborated a little bit before, but this was just another uh, chance. She's uh, yeah, wild. she's great. Um, and then, you know, Susan Tedeschi, I've known forever. John Modeschi, I've known him forever. So some of these people I go way back with. So... Yeah, it's just a variety. It was nice. Yeah, it was cool to like read about and listen to the record of the mix of like old friends and new. It sounds like you kind of like threw yourself a "This Is Your Life" party. Yeah, <laughs> on an album. Yeah, it kind it kind of was. It kind of was like that. Yeah, yeah. Just having I have some such such a variety of people in my life that are just that I really love musically uh, as well as personally, but like. Um, there's some young guys uh, that played on a couple of the songs, um, Rick Robertson and uh, Aaron Lip and Nick Falk are, uh, you know, guys that are 25 years younger than me or half my age, but they're incredible musicians. And I produced a record for them for, with their old, old band a while ago. And um, just cool to like go with guys like that and and, and create something with them and have them be involved and add their kind of energy into it and then reunite with somebody like Chris Long, who he and I spent 12, 15 years touring together, um, but have now been apart for 15 years. So Chris is uh, from King Johnson. Correct. Yeah. Let's get him a fact straight. Yeah. I read in an article that you are a longtime team player. <laughs> really? <laughs> a longtime team player? Yeah, how do you feel about that? <laughs> you know, I I agree with that. Um, I'll tell you, I didn't mean to make a solo album when I started collaborating with people um, outside of the Wood Brothers. I didn't think, ooh, I'm going to make a solo album. And I just was doing it for fun and to do it. And during the pandemic, I acquired um, enough songs where I was like, I, this is an album. I'm just going to make an album. Um and so, you know, a solo album, you know, it's got my name on it, but the truth is what was fun about it and what really happened was I collaborated with people. It wasn't exactly solo, you know what I mean? Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, it's a little bit lonely. Like, I guess I had moments where I was like, oh, I have to make all the decisions and I, I was stressful and I didn't, I didn't like that. You know, I missed the team, uh, having a team. And I did have some great teammates to help me produce the album and make the music and write some songs. But, you know, having just my name on it was a little bit lonely. So, so yeah, team player is, is, is right. I like collaborating. I like working with mm. people and connecting with people. And the process of writing these songs, we talked about, um, it sounded like in 2019, people were stopping by 
um, when the, whenever they were on tour, you'd invite them to co-write. Um, the process of writing these songs sounded loose and easy. And you said you'd be surprised at the music you write and the chances you take when there's nothing at stake. Yeah. So what did you learn from making this record about dealing with uncertainty and living in a crisis, global pandemic, perhaps? Um, I did. I, I took up meditation. Um, I've always meditated off and on, but I got really serious about, you know, no matter what, when I wake up, I'm going to meditate every morning. And How long? Uh, um, just like 15 minutes. You know, 15 to anywhere between 15, and 30 minutes, but usually 15 minutes does a lot for me. So um, do you meditate? Um, I did at one particular time. Yeah. But now very occasionally. Yeah, it's, hard. it's a hard habit to keep. But somehow I learned a lot and I did some guided meditations and I read some things about it. And I... Do you have a meditation hero? Uh, not necessarily. No, I, I'm not a, a meditation nerd, um, but I've learned a lot from a lot of different people. But I, I will say there are things that I've applied to music and to life that I think have come partly from meditation, which is that, you know, it's, it's such a lesson that we, we aren't in control. And the whole pandemic thing you know, all of a sudden it felt like, oh, now we're really not in control. But we never really were. Like, we never really know what's going to happen every day. We think we do. So one of the the foundations of just mindfulness meditation is that you can't stop bad things from happening. You can't, you can't, what's the one, you can't, you can't stop the waves, but you can learn how to surf. That's one of the, yeah. one of the cheesy ones. But it's totally, that's the whole thing about, everything is it's not about control it's about ad adapting you know yeah um so i like that for music and creating too it's like nope you're not in control you have to take things as they come and work with them and discover them and um and that can be applied to, to everyday stuff you know you, you can't help it it's raining today you can't go outside and play and uh so you gotta learn something fun to do inside today and Something like that, you know. I I, I love that idea. So, okay, that gives you some sense of control if you have that skill, or what seems like a skill. Yeah, you seem like you have that skill. Yeah, some days, some days, some pretty yeah. Good. Some days you do, some days you don't. Yeah. Okay, what is your relationship to happiness? Have you always been so positive, and why do you choose to make that energy so prevalent in your songs? Is that? Do you think that that's very prevalent in my songs? Mm-hmm. Cool. Am uh, I wrong? No, I'm glad to know that. I just haven't. Yeah, I guess. I guess you're right. Um, I think that it's sometimes it's one of those just curiosities it's like why are we why are we happy when we're happy and why are we unhappy and why can't we control it and this pisses me off it's frustrating or isn't it awesome or um so it's a lot of angles on happiness um hmm. so i don't know i i just i think about the older i get the more i think about what is you know what are, what am i supposed to do for the limited time that i have left and uh, 
And I'll never forget, I read a thing like a, what is it? A poll that was taken to, for a bunch of senior citizens. What was your biggest regret? You know, you're at the, you're in your twilight. What's your biggest regret? And, and every one of them said, I wish I hadn't worried so much, mm. you know? And that's something I think about all the time. It's like, yeah, I'll, it's such a waste of energy to, to worry, which makes you unhappy. So it's related in that regard. You know, it's just anxiety that we all have because we're um, concerned. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. we're, so, we're always concerned. So I'm always looking for ways through meditation, through music to, to be unconcerned. And mm -hmm. just, which usually just means being present and in the moment. And I am not a master at all. I'm super early in my research, but I'm getting there. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> Sounds easy. Sounds easy, right? Yeah, just, yeah. you know. I also read, and I couldn't like think of a question other than I just wanted to know more about it, that you label yourself as a terrible empath. Mm. Ter Terrible empath, meaning terribly empathetic, right? Not, um, not the opposite. Right. Like I am. Yeah. Uh, really? You read that? Yeah. It was, it was about, you were talking about your kids and how you kind of like want to save them when you see them about to fail. Yeah. I'm helicopter parent and I've gotten a lot better at that. Oliver Wood, you are such a helicopter parent. Just looking at you, I can tell. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I totally am uh, like, are you hungry? Well, are you hungry now? Well, what about, no, what about pizza or something? You know, I'm always like, <laughs> uh, yeah, I go to. And um, so, yeah, I, I, to a fault sometimes. But it's funny, you know, you, you, Oftentimes your strength is your weakness and, and vice versa. So I think it served me really well a lot of times and it's also bit me sometimes too. So one of those things. Would you label that as anxiety? Mm, I, that's an element of it. Part yeah. of it is love. Part of it is, uh, uh, is anxiety. Yeah. yeah. Is, is a uh, lack of control or wanting control, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Great. Well, before we go, um, would you participate in the lightning round, please? Lightning round. Bring it. All right. What is a song that makes you cry every time? Uh, please Send Me Someone to Love by Percy Mayfield. Ooh, good one. Who is your guitar hero? Mm, I have to say Snooks Eaglin, New, New Orleans guitar player. All right, we're going to go out on a limb on this one. What is your favorite scented candle? <laughs> favorite scented candle, burnt almond. No, I, don't, I just don't know. <laughs> that's, hopefully that's not one that sounds gross. Um, <laughs> I'm going to say uh, I don't love scented candles. Smoke. <laughs> like when you blow the candle out. <laughs> yes. And the smoke, yeah. yeah. That is a good scent. Uh, Beatles or the Rolling Stones? Oof. Somebody did this yesterday to me and it was Lennon or McCartney and I'm like ah. and I'll say the similar answer it depends on the day it depends on the day when I was a kid it was all about Beatles and I still love Beatles but today I'm feeling Rolling Stones because there's something about the I like how the Rolling Stones are a little less pretty a little uh, the music is sloppier and 
I like sloppy music. Because you know, the Beatles are for the good kids, and the Rolling <laughs> Stones are for the bad kids. That's right. That's right. I like, I like those bad boys. I heard a radio DJ say that one time, and I've, I've like repeated it probably 50, 50 times. It's <laughs> a good line. That is a good line. What's one product you cannot live without? Chapstick. Whoa. That's serious response. Yeah, right away. Another question about crying. What's the last time you cried watching a movie or a TV show? I don't remember. I'm going to say movie. I don't remember what movie Oh, you're was. like, pass. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> I pass. I can hear you. <laughs> what is your most shameful quarantine activity? Um, probably Netflix. Netflix, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. What's that? Uh, actually, that's on Disney+. Plus. Sorry. Uh, it's a TV show spinoff of the Marvel movies that my kids, oh. so my kids got me on it and now I'm kind of hooked. Yeah. Okay. And then what is your most respectful quarantine activity besides recording an album? Mm, I would say, uh, meditation and exercise. Oh yeah. Good very, answer. Very okay. Sensible. This, this is the last one. Where do you want to go once travel restrictions are lifted? Hmm. I want to go to uh, Red Rocks Amphitheater in Colorado. Who are you seeing? Um, actually, I'm going to play there. You want to play there? Uh, yeah, okay. Yeah. But I'd go <laughs> see somebody too. Um, and I want to go to the beach. Yeah. Yeah. Which Which is your beach? Um, we go to uh, a place called... I don't want to say it because then other people will go there. It's a cool place. It's in the panhandle of Florida. It's called Cape Sand Blast. And it's uh, a little cape in uh, the panhandle area of Florida. Oh, nice. Great. Well, that's it. That's the lightning round. Thank awesome. you so much for talking. My pleasure. I enjoyed it. Thanks for, for good conversation. Basic Folk This Week, produced by John Nungesser. Alex Stanton of Townspeople composes our music. Basic Folk is on the American Songwriter Podcast Network. I'm your host, Cindy House. And if you like this episode, I encourage you to share it with a friend or a family member or somebody that you are just getting to know. It might be like a fun, how do you do to share this episode of Basic Folk with them. Uh, you can find this podcast wherever you listen or at my website, cindyhouse.net. And we'll talk to you next time. Okay, bye. Bye.